What about the next patient? The next patient is now 47 years old. I met her for the first time about seven years ago. She had been experiencing some difficulties of fatigue at that time. She had heme-positive stool. She was noted to have a lesion in the ascending colon, and she went to surgery and had a resection of a lesion that was T3N0 with 0 out of 27 nodes assessed, no evidence of other metastatic disease. She tolerated the treatment fine. I did give her 5-FU and leucovorin. Again, that was tolerated well, and we followed her pretty much the way I just described, but I did extend the CT scans out a little longer and did go to five years on the CAT scans. She had, on the year five, a little bump in her CEA, and the CAT scan showed a lesion in the left lobe of the liver. That was metastatic disease. She underwent the resection, tolerated that very well, then she went on Zelox and subsequently Zelox Avastin. That treatment concluded about two years ago. The patient was monitored off treatment, continued to do well, and was seen back in December of 08. She had a rise in her CEA at that point to 11. CAT scan showed that she had several pulmonary nodules, and we obtained a PET scan. There was no uptake on the PET scan. She had a biopsy of the pulmonary lesion. That was a FNA. It was inconclusive. And the patient at that point said, I think I'm done for a while. Just keep an eye on me. I don't want to have any more interventions. And she was entirely asymptomatic. About two months ago, she came back in. We repeated her scan. And she was clearly having some progression of her disease. The initial scan, I repeat, it was a chest scan. She had some increase in pulmonary nodularity. I then got an abdominal scan. This was done a few weeks ago. And the abdominal scan showed that she had extrahepatic metastasis, new hepatic metastasis, and based along, there were increasing pulmonary nodules. So the lesion in the extrahepatic metastasis was biopsy. That was adenocarcinoma consistent with her primary disease. And she was seen back today to discuss what we were going to do next. She is KRAS wild type. Wow. Great story. Just to comment on this young woman, she was a very affecting young woman who obviously had been facing a lot of issues. She came with her mom, who was deaf. She obviously had been dealt a bad hand. She didn't have a husband in sight, but she had a 17-year-old son who she obviously wanted to stay around for. And she was clearly starting to have symptoms related to her pulmonary metastases. So she does need treatment. At one point when we were talking, Phil started choking up, so I ended up talking to her. And at the end of it, I had to give her a hug because this woman clearly needed a hug as much as she needed Fall Fox. So, Phil, what was going through your mind? Well, I've known her for quite a while, and we've been through a recurrence that I never thought was going to happen in liver resection and then subsequent chemotherapy after that. And all the while, I've heard about her son. And in addition, she has a brother that she adored who had a terrible accident and is in a hospital, and she visits him daily and cares for him. He's in an extended care facility at this time, and he's only in his 40s. So... She's had a very tragic life, and one of the joys in her life has been her son, and she started talking to us about her son and his going off to college, and I think that it was just the whole thing of the seven years of hearing about this young boy now, young adult, who she adores, and knowing that everything that she's been through. And as Dan can attest, I mean, she's just as charming as you could possibly imagine, and she's determined to be brave about the whole thing. Now, did you say she was deaf, or her mother Her mother, was her mother is deaf. What kind of work does she do? She is not employed. She spends a great deal of time taking care of her infirm brother. And she's had battles with depression, and that's been an issue, and we talked about that a little bit today. 
So in part, I think that she has in the past, I should say, not so much now, but in the past, she's had a lot of time to dwell on her misfortunes. There's no question about it. And any partner or social life? Her husband has not been in the picture, but he has been responsible towards the son. And there's a significant other who is actually probably creates some difficulties and drama in her life that she doesn't really need right now. Hmm. How do you deal with the issue? I mean, it sounds like a pretty basic question, but I'm sure everybody who ever talks to an oncologist wants to know, how do you provide compassionate care and not let it upset you? And I guess that doesn't always work, huh, Phil? It usually works. I was kind of taken aback today, actually. Here's this woman who I think world of, and she's got to go through yet another hardship, and we're talking about end-of-life issues, actually. So I think for her, it was a matter of quickly trying to focus on what we were going to be able to do that was going to work for her and what we were going to do that was going to give her more time and give her some quality of life during the course of her treatment. I'm curious, Phil, and I want to ask the same question to you, Dan. What's your strategy to remain balanced as a person dealing with these kinds of situations? I'm lucky. I have a great family. I stay very busy. I pretty much love what I do for work. I have a lot of family interests. I exercise almost every day. And that's kind of free psychotherapy for me. How about you, Dan? Well, I think, like Phil, I'm just very grateful for the things that I have. There isn't a day that I don't leave the clinic without thinking what a lucky guy I am. And so it's not there but for fortune because I don't wish this disease or these diseases on anyone. I think it really emphasizes the differences we all face in life and some of the challenges that some of us don't. I'm not sure I remember if I've seen anything in the JCO or the medical literature about burnout and addiction and all kinds of other problems in oncologists. It's my general impression that oncologists who make their way and stay in practice for a while seem pretty normal and healthy. We've published some things on burnout and oncology fellows. Fellows. But I think from the standpoint of we attendings, I think maybe we're just simple-minded. We don't have a lot of burnout because we get so many rewards back. Actually, Dan made a very good point during the course of the conversation because this patient has a knack of never letting the focus stay too long on her and her problems and immediately go into, well, how are you doing and how are you holding up? And Dan made the point during that discussion of immediately bringing in what we could do to make her life better. And that did kind of change the tone of things. And I think that it certainly changed the tone of things for her mother. What were some of the things you brought up, Dan? Well, just about how she had to be strong for her son and that she was balancing out quality of life and length of life. And I said, you know, when you're 47 years old, you have a 17-year-old son off looking at colleges, you need a lot of quantity. And quality will be the important thing that Phil will focus on and we focus on in our practice. And I think it did turn it around for her mother because her mother got a little misty-eyed. She could read lips and she got a little misty-eyed over this because I think the obvious thing or one of the obvious things is that this boy will be in her care Mm. if she passes. Hmm. And you mentioned end-of-life issues. At what point, Phil, if at all, I've had oncologists say they never bring up advanced directives and others who do. Do you get into those kinds of things? Oh, I bring them up early on when I think it's a reasonable thing to do. For this patient right now, that was not going to be a discussion. She doesn't want to know about it. I suspect that down the line I'll be talking more with her mom, or, and this is not going to be a discussion we're going to have for a while with her until some kind of crisis evolves. But that's very atypical. I try to bring this up early because I think it puts things in the context of realistic expectation. And I think it also ties into a relationship of what people can think is, it's part of your patient-physician relationship. 
I think also one of the things that happened during that discussion is she repeated over and over again, I don't want to know about prognosis. I don't want to know about prognosis. And I said, don't worry, we're not going to tell you because we don't like to volunteer things we don't know much about except right. to say – I have a sneaking suspicion that in the back of her mind is a much worse prognosis than we would ever come up with. Yeah, right. So let's go into your next patient. 